In the spirit of ministry appreciation, I want to say, James, thank you. You get us all worked up. You know what I mean, man? <laughs> and then you and the ministry of the choir bring us to this kind of quiet place, ready to hear. That's a blessing. Thank you, brother. Thank you. So we're going to talk about church. This is the third week in a row we're going to talk about church. And um, I told Tom this morning I was going to bring up a book. And um, I pulled this off my shelf, and it's called uh, The Reality of the Church. And I was looking at the table of contents, and I was like, uh, first chapter, The Enigma of the Church. I don't think we figured it out yet, have we? I don't. The People of God. And then it goes on, The Church as Being and Coming to Be. I think that's like our sermon series title almost, right? <laughs> but what's interesting is that this was uh, published in um, 1958, the year of my birth. So I guess we're still talking about church and we still need to talk about church. And so that's why we're going to look at Ephesians today and talk about church. So um, as I listen, I'm going to read the text now. As I listen, uh, listen for uh, the question that is before us this morning. The question is, what binds the church together? What holds us together? But in essence, what is it that binds us together that actually frees us to be the church? So um, I invite you to, uh, to uh, listen. The, uh, the scripture is going to be on the screens, I believe. Yes, there we go. Listen, uh, read, and listen for that question, what binds us together? In fact, sorry to say, I pulled this Bible out to use it, and obviously nothing is really binding it together because Ephesians 2 is kind of like broken, but somehow the Spirit of God holds us together. So here, listen to the Word of God. So then, remember that at one time you, Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father, so then, you, he's still speaking to Gentiles here, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens 
with the saints and also the members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Give of your spirit, Lord, that we may know your word for us today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So at the time of this letter being written to this church in Ephesus, and we know that it was not only written to the church in Ephesus, but to those surrounding, this church was very young, maybe a few years old. This gathering was just starting to take its baby steps in the ways of Christ. It was comprised of Jews who came to faith in Jesus and Gentiles who did not have the same pedigree of faith, but they too were experiencing a new freedom in the gospel. I believe this letter addresses a tension that existed between these two basic identities, Jew and Gentile. And as then, so today, identity markers have the potential for the disruption of social relations when held in a prideful and privileged spirit. Although the specific tension is not completely clear, it does reveal this to us, that early church relations were complex and challenging as they are today. My educated guess is that those who were insiders, to use the phrase, the Jewish in Christ crowd, felt privileged given their long heritage of faith that was directly connected to Jesus and his ancestry. Then there were the Gentiles who were new to the faith, just coming to learn the ways of the Messiah, Jesus. As recent converts, possibly from the Temple of Artemis, as Michelle mentioned last week, what the main kind of pagan central worship center there, there may have been recent converts from there who were in this community. In this, the apostle says to his Jewish friends or what, uh, that they have, may have felt that they were uh, somehow second class because they did not have the heritage. Paul says in the beginning of chapter 2 to not only the Gentiles but to his Jewish friends as well that you were dead in sins before you came to Christ. Remember this. Therefore, you should be humble about your own heritage that you have. In our passage, he speaks directly to the Gentiles here to remember who you were. You were apart from the covenants of promise, but now you have been brought near through the cross of Jesus Christ. You are no longer outsiders. You're no longer outsiders, no matter what any one group or person might say. This passage challenged us to let, to let go of something. 
It challenges us to let go of what I would call insider-outsider language in terms of understanding the church as a living body. Our questions should not be who are outside or who are inside, but which walls of hostility, real and potential, need to be broken down. You see, it's the walls of hostility that are the issue. And Christ has done something. These real and potential walls that have been made, Christ broke down in his own body on the cross. And this is not just all about breaking down walls, for to just simply say that would simply to be negative, right? The positive side is this, is that in his own body, Christ is creating and is continuing to create, and even here at First Press and in the East Bay, one new humanity. That is the positive side. And in many ways, that's the hard realization to come to because we all have ideas about what the one real humanity ought to be. But Christ is the one who defines that for us as we live together. When we look at our world around us, this stands, this one humanity stands great starkly in contrast to what we see in the world with its rules of insiderism and outsiderness. This game is exposed for what it is. The game perpetuates pride and privilege. And what binds the church together is not that, not how we define ourselves over against a common enemy, but what binds us together is what also frees us from the fate of irresolvable conflict and opens us up to wider expressions of mercy and justice to embrace the wide breadth of cultural, political, sexual, gender, racial, and ethnic identities. All of those things are always challenging the one identity that we have in Christ. And yet we in the church can embrace and not fear and be able to live together in Christ. This one passage is full of too many great insights for what life in Christ means. The heart of the passage, I would say, is verse 14. It is the cornerstone. Just this simple phrase where he says, he or Christ is our peace. Christ is our peace. This is mentioned twice more, twice, two more times in verses 15 and 17. Peace is a gift of God to us through the cross of Christ and his resurrection. God proclaims peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Whether one is far or near, the defining message of God's message is peace, the word peace. Even we hear in the prophet Isaiah, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace will not be moved, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And think of the words of Jesus before his death in the upper room where he said to the disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. And then catch how even after the resurrection, Jesus comes through and sees the disciples and his words are, Peace be with you. Now, what is this peace that Christ is 
and is for us, that binds us together. The Hebrew and Old Testament notion of shalom provides, I think, a very rich and robust answer. Shalom means wholeness. It means completeness. It means soundness. It means health. It means rest. It means safety. It means tranquility. It means prosperity. And it means flourishing. The shalom or peace of God is all of this and more. And it is impressive in how today's text connects this very word and meaning of its fullness, shalom, with Jesus. This is a peace that passes all understanding. It's not simply a personal feeling or a shared feeling of intimate oneness. It's a peace of a deeper place, a space of safety that generates a desire to embrace diverse identities within the church and to courageously care for and receive the other, even the other we might fear. That one is a gift of God in Christ. To summarize, we, the church, live from the peace of God through the peace of Christ toward the shalom of the kingdom of God. So basically it stretches, it gives us a sense of from beginning to end, the work of God is to bring peace because God is peace and Christ reveals that. I would dare say that this is the story that God is writing here through our own lives at First Press. And I would say, this, we are reminded of this every single Sunday. What is it that we did this morning? After Tom took us through the confession, where did he take us? Tom, what, do you remember what we did after? <laughs> no? I think it was the peace of Christ, doesn't it? The peace of Christ be with you, right? And the response also with you. I just want to take a few moments and look at that practice of how important it is for understanding what, by, what, what holds us together. This is a practice that Christians have been doing since the second century. And if you look at the biblical witness and testimony, people have been passing the peace all the way back, all the way in the back of the book of Genesis. One of the most outstanding moments in the Old Testament is the parting of Jonathan and David the tears that they will not see each other again. Under the threat of death, both of them from Saul, Jonathan's father, David's, uh, <clears throat> the one who, who wants to kill David. In, second, in 1 Samuel, Jonathan says to David at this point, go in peace. Since both of us have sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Passing the peace of Christ is more than a moment of welcome and greeting. In many ways, it's very easy for it to simply become a moment of welcome and greeting. And I'm not saying welcome and greeting isn't a part of it. But when we say the peace of Christ be with you, and you say it back to me and also with you. We seek to do this with intention and attention as something that is vital to our life together. You and I need to know the peace of Christ 
Because some folks are coming into this room on Sundays and their week has been hell. And they need to be reminded that the peace of Christ is with them. And sometimes even as a pastor, my week has been, you know, what I just said. <laughs> and I need to know and hear from you. The peace of Christ is with me. We are a body, a living body. We don't come to church just to see each other. In fact, thinking about it, that kind of creates an insiderism because we forget that there are other people who are coming into the body who don't get the inside joke that we may be holding. Remember, it's not about inside and outside. It's about walls being broken down. Because this peace can create conditions for us that free us. We come together in the name of the one who is our peace. And it is from that place that we welcome. So is this a practice only for Sunday morning? And what does it mean? I would propose that there are three threads here. Catch the imagery. Three threads binding us together that are interrelated. And one is this, is that when we pass the peace, we pass a blessing. Two, when we pass the peace, it's a prayer. And three, when we pass the peace, it's a task. When we pass the peace of Christ, we speak a blessing upon the space between us. That's the first thread, exemplified in Jonathan and David's parting. Of the many meanings of this, that this blessing carries, when we think of shalom and all those words that describes it, all the many meanings that this blessing carries, one is, is that no matter how distant we may find ourselves from each other, spatially that is, or whether how distant we may find ourselves from each other in terms of understanding or misunderstanding, whether that distance is big or small, we bless the space that is between us with the peace of Christ. The second is that when we pass the peace of Christ, we're offering a prayer for that person. When you say, the peace of Christ be with you, you are actually asking God that the peace of Christ would go with me and in response as well. You know, prayers don't need to be long. The best prayers are to the point, and those are prayers are short. Help, save, the peace of Christ be with you, right? And this prayer is that in all of our comings and our goings, as hard and difficult or as easy and plain as that might be, the peace of Christ is there. Consider this. Each of us has already been prayed over this morning when we shared the peace of Christ with each other. The third and final thread is this, though, that when we pass the peace, we are taking on a task. We are taking on a task. It's not just for Sunday. It's not simply that we come in on Sunday, I get the peace of Christ, I'm recharged, I go out there and I do what I want. We know that's not true. That's kind of a simplified way of putting it. But we have a task, the vocation to seek peace and pursue it in the church, at work, 
on the streets, in our commute, oh my gosh, don't go there, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, being blessed and being prayed for, we go forth from worship today with a task to carry the peace of Christ into a world that is continually fed and energized by conflict, that drains us of a sense of rootedness and peacefulness. You see, we know the creation was not created out of chaos, although God oversaw the chaos and the Spirit of God hovers over the chaos. The chaos doesn't win. We don't live from that perspective because the peace of Christ is with us and goes with us. We live in a world of incredible noise and incredibly noisy people. I pray I'm not one of them, but we do. And you ask yourself this question, is anybody really listening to anyone else anymore? Is anybody really listening, really listening to anyone else anymore? One of the ways that we bless others and take up the task of peacemaking is learning to actively listen to other people. To shut down our concerns about what people should think and what people should believe and how they should live and simply listen to them in the peace of Christ. When you think about it, the act of sharing the peace of Christ and receiving the peace of Christ verbally from one another, not just as blessing and prayer, is meant to be actively listened to. That's how we receive it. Not just as a simple greeting or a word. To actively listen as we hear another person say, the peace of Christ be with you, and make the response, and also with you, is an act, a giving, and a receiving. And it might say, as things go in the world, it's not that big of a thing. But this act of sharing the peace on Sunday morning, it may not shake the world at war to silence, but it brings us to the place where walls and wars are unnecessary and love and mercy and justice can live and breathe. The peace of Christ be with you. And may it ever be so, and shalom. And all the people of God said, Amen. Amen.